Welcome to Humble Beginnings, a podcast where we uncover the unconventional, more relatable paths to success. In this show, we'll share the stories before the C-suites, board memberships, and appointments, the stories of various upbringings, first jobs, career pivots, educational uncertainties, and more. This is the place to hear about their lives from the GovCon executives themselves. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back. I'm Camille Tudy, and today's guest is Luanda Jones, who's the Deputy Chief Information Officer in the Office of Strategic Sourcing at the Department of Veterans Affairs. She has an amazing story, and I cannot wait to share it with you all. So let's get right to it. Luanda, you are a senior executive and leader in the Department of Veterans Affairs. You are also a retired Army colonel who spent 28 years in the service. But not only that, you actually have a degree in psychology, two master's degrees, one in management information system and one in national resource strategy. And you're working on your doctorate in business administration. Before we get into all of that, and I really want your tips on how you manage time and get to do everything you want to do, I really want to go back to the beginning. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up? What kind of upbringing did you have? Yeah, and thank you for that. So I'm originally from a little town. It's in the southwestern portion of Virginia. It's called Danville, Virginia. It's right on the North Carolina border. I was raised by my grandparents and I have a big family. I have nine sisters and three brothers. However, my grandparents raised uh, my brother and I. So my grandparents were pretty, when I was growing up, they were old. For example, when I was in the eighth grade, my grandfather was 116. So my grandparents were very elderly people with a lot of longevity. We also had a huge religious background and, you know, they were really strict. So they were very strict on me. And we were very poor. And I I tell people we were not only poor, but we were poor, really poor. But when you're poor and you don't really have money, you really don't know what you're missing. So what they instilled in me were values like integrity, like honesty, like being committed to something. So that's how I grew up. Very, very poor family but with lots and lots of love. I love that story. I mean, so many siblings, you didn't have the means, but you know, you didn't know. My, my mother has a similar background. She grew up in a very small town in Finland. And she said, we all lived, you know, nine of us lived in one small house. There was one bedroom, but they, they didn't know that they were poor. They just, everyone was poor, she said. Right. Yeah. So you said very early on, your grandparents instilled this sense of integrity in you. So how did that play out? Like, how did that manifest itself when you were growing up? I think, you know, it was being honest and telling the truth and being authentic and just knowing 
that you had to do the right things because no matter where you went in this small town, someone knew your family and that that was going to get back to them. And so I knew that growing up, they had very high expectations of us. And so a child's place was a child's place, but I could still talk to them about just about anything. And so they wanted to make sure that I went to school, that I had clothes on my back, and that I respected my elders. Do you remember having a dream job as a kid? You know, as a kid, I can remember our street that I grew up on was a gravel street, right? It was not paved where I'm from. And we used to throw rocks. And I really didn't dream of a, I would say, a job per se. But we used to see and look at cars go by. And we used to say, oh, that one's mine. No, that one's mine. No, I have that one. Uh, And I would say that from a job perspective, I think initially when I was probably in middle school, I wanted to be a model. And then someone said, oh, you're too short for a model. And then (laughs) I thought, maybe I want to be an airline stewardess. And keep in mind, I remember I said we were poor. So not only had I never flown in an aircraft, but I had never seen an aircraft. But I wanted to be a model. And I wanted to to be an airline stewardess, but not having anyone to really guide me to say, here are the things that you need to do if you're headed that way. And you said your grandparents had high expectations. Were they talking to you in those like early days about like, this would be a good career path for you. This would be a good job for you. I can tell you that growing up, I never had anyone to talk about a career path. So I can remember that my grandparents, I believe they could barely read and write. So I never had anyone to help me with my schoolwork. Although they said, oh, you gotta go to school. But they, I never had anyone to help me with my homework. And and I got to tell you, it's really by the grace of God that I am where I am today because I always excelled in school. I never thought about going to college because in my mind, we were poor. That was the last thing on my mind. But one day, my high school guidance counselor, he stopped me and I I was a cheerleader in both now they call it middle school and high school, right? I was a cheerleader. So my guidance counselor stopped me between classes one day in high school and said, hey, I haven't seen any college applications on you. And I've noticed that you hadn't taken the SAT. Now, mind you, I had never taken college prep classes. And I can say that I probably didn't even know what a SAT test was. So he says, I want you to stop by my office because you have good grades. And I was like, yeah, but we can't afford to go to college. He says, well, come on by my office anyways. 
So I went to his office after class and he says, I want you to take these SATs on Saturday. I've already signed you up. I had not prepared for an SAT. So nevertheless, you know, my, my test scores were not high, of course. And I, I filled out applications for universities and he showed me what paperwork I needed to take home to have my mother filled out from a financial aid perspective. So really that one encounter kick-started my journey to Norfolk State University. And that's the school that gave me the most money. Uh, so long story of that is that I never ever dreamed of going to college. And I really, uh, when I was in high school, you know, some people took uh, college curriculums. I was in a, um, we had a beauty school, a cosmetology. So that was my track in high school until I became a cheerleader uh, my senior year. So my cosmetology class and my cheerleading class <laughs> clashed. So I decided I was going to be a cheerleader. And cosmetology, I really didn't like doing hair anyways. Um, but my guidance counselor, I would say, saved my life. And when you got to college, you had decided to major in psychology. What made you pick that? Oh, what a great question. <laughs> so here we are in orientation. And so the, the person that was in front of the class went around to every student and was asking, well, what do you want to major in? And what do you want to major in? And in all honesty, I had no idea. So a couple of people in front of me said psychology. And I said, psychology. <laughs> and that's how I majored in psychology. <laughs> Wow, I've interviewed so many people and I've never heard anyone say that it just happened. Like, oh, I just picked it there and then. And I loved it. I mean, I loved psychology. And if I had gone on to, you know, if I hadn't gone into the Reserve Officers Training Corps and into the Army, I would probably be either a social psychologist or a clinical psychologist. And it, I think it was better than saying, oh, general education. So, yeah. So going back a little bit, did you have a job before? What was your first job like? Did you have a job before college? No, I did not. I did not have a job before college, but I did have a job when I was in college. So my first job was I worked as a cashier at McDonald's. And the way in which I got the job was we were getting ready to move a friend of mine into these townhouses that were across from the university. And we saw this one apartment and the girl's sister was a manager at McDonald's. And since I wanted to move into this apartment, I needed a job so I could pay the rent, right? So she gave me the job. And that was the job that I worked in and it helped me pay my rent. It also, you know, I spent three years in this apartment at Norfolk State. So McDonald's. So I'm a McDonald's girl. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, when did you start thinking more seriously about your career? So, you know, you're, you're majoring in psychology and 
you now say that, you know, you, that was a great pick for you because you love working with people and understanding, you know, the psychology of it all. It makes sense. But when did you start really planning for your career? <laughs> Here's another long story. I, I'll, I'll try to try my best to make it short. The summer of my freshman year, a friend of my, a friend of mine said, "Hey, come and go with me to New Jersey. Let's go to my house for the summer." And I said, "Okay, sure, no problem." And so while I was at her house, her stepfather said, "Have you heard of uh, the Reserve Officers Training Corps?" And I was like, "No, what's that?" He says, "That's ROTC, and that is." where while you're in this program, they will pay you $100 a month and you will have a guaranteed job when you finish college. So my coming from a very poor family, that $100 was like $10 million to me. So I was like, yeah, okay. So when I got back to the university, I enrolled in the Norfolk State ROTC program. And I absolutely fell in love with the camaraderie, with the unity. Uh, and, and I got to say that in high school, we had a ROTC program. But I used to look at those folks in their uniforms and say, oh, how in the world could they wear such clothes? Who are these people? And lo and behold, I get to college and I get into this ROTC program and I absolutely I fall in love with it. And then right before my senior year, my ROTC instructor said, I believe that you would be great as an active duty regular army officer. Well, you know, I really didn't know the difference between a regular army officer and a reserve officer. I just knew I was going into the army when I graduated. But now that I look back and I, after my 28 years of active duty service, he set me on a path that I didn't even know existed. So again, another angel that was in my path that was leading me towards a career that I had no idea that I was going into. I think it's remarkable that you've had these a series of, you know, unexpected, but very fortunate events happening to you. You know, people said, oh, this would be great for you. Or have you heard of this? And you're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so you spent almost three decades in the army. If you look at what you're doing now, what are you drawing from? And what, do you, what are you inspired when it comes to your time in the army in your current role? Well, I tell you, the Army taught me a lot. When you join the Army, whether you are an officer, and in my case, I was a, a brand new second lieutenant, you're in a leadership position. And if you really think about it, you're in your what early 20s, and you are leading hundreds of people. And you really don't know what you're doing, and you are depending upon other people. So from the time that you are in your early 20s, you are leading. And from there, you continue to lead with greater and greater responsibilities. And so what that has brought to me is leadership, 
the discipline, the really understanding what the values that my grandparents taught me, integrity, that discipline that they uh, really instilled in me, and just having the moral courage to do what's right and to understand right from wrong and to know that, yeah, you're going to make mistakes, but it's not a, a zero defect environment. You make the mistakes and you pull yourself up and you lift somebody else up and you go on with life. You keep dreaming and you keep aspiring to do better for yourself and others around you. I love that. So you retired from the army. How did you end up at the VA? So when I retired, uh, when I thought about retiring, I went for a walk. It was on a New Year's Day. And I said, you know, I've got to make a decision. It was during the holidays. When I go back, I'm going to put in my retirement papers and I'm going to retire six months from the day that I put in my papers. And I started thinking, well, I know I want to work, but I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. I mean, in the army, you get told where you're going, where you're going to work. I wanted the experience of completing a job application, of going to interviews. I know that sounds crazy. I also had people say, no, if you're retiring, you know, you can come and work for me. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go to USA Jobs and I wanted to fill out the application. I also knew that I wanted to continue being in service of our nation, but I wanted to do something different. I didn't know anything about the Department of Veterans Affairs. And I think most people think that as veterans, we know about the department when we're in the uniform, but we don't. We have no idea. So I did some research on VA and other organizations, and I just started applying for jobs. And I started interviewing for jobs. And this was one of the first jobs that I applied for. And they asked me to come to an interview. I think I had like Three into at that time you had to do three or four interviews. Then you had to write a paper about why you wanted to join the VA. And I've been here 12 years now, but I knew nothing about the organization. I didn't know anyone who worked in the organization other than one of my neighbors. I didn't even tell her that I was applying for the job because I did not want anyone to say, well, you should go over here or I can put in a good word for you. I wanted to do it myself. I love that. What a remarkable story. And amid all of this, you know, you're working on your doctorate. So for someone who didn't think that she would go to college, here she is, you know, decades later with this remarkable career trajectory. So what made you decide to, uh, to pursue higher education? So my husband's family, most of them have, uh, a lot of them have their doctorate's degrees. And about 20 years ago, I wanted to get my PhD. I didn't know anything about a PhD, what it took to get a doctorate's degree. So I talked to my father-in-law 
And, you know, because we called him the smartest man in the world. He had a PhD in education. And so he was like, well, what do you want to get it in? And I was like, uh, I don't know. He says, well, that's, first of all, you got to know what you want to get it in first. So, you know, that was a conversation. Then about three years ago, my brother-in-law, he got his PhD and he sent us all a hard copy of his dissertation. And his dissertation was on executive orders. And I was reading through the book and I said, I can do this. Man, look at this. I can do this. This looks, this doesn't look hard. So I got this fire within my soul that just would not go out. So I started just researching different schools and my husband's aunt received her PhD from Temple University and my kids graduated from Temple and I figured, well, Temple is close to Virginia. And so Temple was my number one school, but I also applied to other schools that I was accepted in. But Temple was the one that I wanted to go to. So I decided that I was going to start working on a doctorate in business administration. And um, I did not want to do something that was totally online, but yet I didn't want to quit my job to go do a doctorate's program. So when I looked at Temple's curriculum, they were offered residencies three times a semesters on Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. And then you did have some coursework uh, online. So it was just the perfect, COVID had just hit. And I knew that I wanted to do some research in supply chain risk management and resilience because I felt like I didn't know enough about it. And now in my third year in the program, I'm actually working on my dissertation proposal, and I, I hope to finish in 24. Amazing. I know we're running out of time, so I'm going to ask my last question. Uh, you refer to dreams earlier. What is Luanda Jones dreaming about today? Like you said, you have a lot going on, but if you're looking at the fact that you will be finishing your degree soon. What are you dreaming about? Man, I am really dreaming about being the greatest role model to my grandchildren and to my children that I can be. I am dreaming about being able to reach back and help some little girl or some little boy the way my guidance counselor helped me. So I am dreaming that I may touch the lives of someone like someone else touched my life and absolutely changed my life forever. Okay, one final question. So that little girl or that little boy growing up somewhere middle of nowhere in America who doesn't really have a clear path for themselves and don't have really the means, what's your best advice? I am a firm believer that you can do all things that you set your mind to. And I don't believe that money is an obstacle. It's hard work, but you can do it. There are programs out there. There are people out there that can help you. 
If you set your mind to anything, you can do it. And if you don't give up on yourself, others will not give up on you. That's such an inspirational quote to end on. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I wish we had hours, but we don't. I would love to hear more <laughs> about your story, but truly, truly remarkable story. So thank you for your time. Well, thank you. And it was wonderful. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Humble Beginnings. Check out WashingtonExec.com to find more of our podcasts and profiles on executives. See you next time.